I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. We are back with a mailbag podcast with uh, Kyle Nathan. It's been a while. Yeah, long time no talk. Got a lot of good questions this time. Yeah, lots of uh, lots of travel recently. It's been uh, cutting into my uh, time to do podcasts. So, yeah, but, you've been all over the place. California, playing some real good tracks, huh? Yeah, I've gotten some good golf in. And uh, now I'm hunkering down in Chicago winter. Gonna just, I find I, I looked at my uh, output last week, and because it was my first full week, like in at home, and I was like, God, so much easier to get stuff done when you're not traveling. Oh yeah. Um, how do your uh, member guests go? Yeah, you were grinding. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> grinding. It was a lot of fun. Um, we played okay. It was uh, it was it was an awesome member guest though. That's it. Carlton Woods is a really cool place. Um, they they had a good format, you know, the good night stuff, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Did you win? No, God no. We uh, we I don't even know. It was so it's not uh, match play, which normal member guests are. It was uh, it was a really cool format. It was best ball for nine each day and then a modified alt shot for nine each day um obviously handicapped you know i think we we did okay i i don't know what we actually finished in our flight um but i love that format it's so much but nine hole matches when you have the handicapped events are like impossible because you get one down and you're giving someone shots you're like you've lost you know you lose the first hole you've almost lost but in that format there's definitely room for you know, blow ups potentially on the alternate shot. And it's just, it's, it's different. You never, I never play alternate shots. So I had a lot of fun playing it. I wish there was more stuff. Alternate shots kind of hard. There's a lot of pressure. Oh yeah, it is. You don't want to be the one to miss the four footer. You know, I chunked a chip on this par five. That was cool. We were right next to the green in two and I just laid the sod and hit it like six feet. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, bud. <laughs> Uh, that was good, but yeah, you're right. You don't want to be the one that hits that hit that shot. It's kind of excruciating. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, a lot different. Um, Do you watch much golf this fall? Um, you know, sparingly. I um I watched a lot more football than golf, to be honest. Um, it's hard for me to go all year with golf, which I mean, these guys joke about the five day off season, but at some point, I'd like to see the PGA Tour actually do an off season because. I mean, I can't imagine playing it, let alone, you know, I, it's hard to, you know, sometimes in the Asia events, it's cool because it's on at odd hours that might stay. But then I think when they get back, um, they should take a break for a couple weeks or even, you know, a month or two. But, you know, to me, the season doesn't really start till the um, Kapalua. Yeah, that's uh, I mean, there. 
the false stuff is just so some of it's contrived too you know like the the asian swing is is good and i understand the grow growing the game like a broad aspect mm -hmm. of it but like just giving guys free fedex cup points is like contributing to the problem of like you know it's so hard for new guys to keep their card and there's so few spots but like then you just give all the veterans a bunch of FedEx cup points to start the season, you know, and just right. a limited field, no cut events. Now, like people will say, Oh, nobody will show up. Well, like originally I believe the fall events were to get the lesser known guys and the young guys start, you know? Right. And now it's become kind of like the opposite where it's a easy way for veterans to feast on FedEx cup points. Yeah, you just load load the boat with some points early in the year, and um, you know then you can coast when you actually have to play full fields. Yeah, yeah. So and then and then the young guys never get starts. So um, did you have any takeaways from the fall season so far? Um, not really. I mean, uh, you you just see like, I mean, Patton Kazire. I thought he was gonna win something last year. He's a good. Player. Yeah, you've talked about him to me quite a bit. You're a fan. Yeah, he's. I mean, he was. He's. I think I'm the same age as him. Maybe he might be a year younger. But I, I, you know, I, back when Golf Week was great, and you'd get those like uh, the big Golf Week. And oh yeah, oh, those are great. You go in there and you could check all the scores from all the tournaments. I mean, talk about that was that was awesome. And then you, you know, you'd see his name all over stuff. And I know he had struggles early in his pro career, but then he wins the Web.com. You know, moneyless like. I mean, if you, I feel like if you win the web.com money list, you're, you've got a lot of talent and, you know, bad game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you have the ability to, to win a lot. Um, so it'll be interesting to see after getting a win, what happens. And, uh, I mean, lots of stuff going on. What do you think, you know, tiger, what are you expecting? Oh man. It's what's crazy to me is reading the comments on his you know every time he tweets reading the comments and like people have the most un like they really actually do have the most unrealistic expectations of him like i almost feel bad for the guy they're like, you know, like oh god he's, he's gonna you know augusta it's over he's won it and it's like but you know as you know i'm sure everyone that listens to this and you know and i know that i mean it's if he wins a tournament this year it would be incredible you know it just won i mean Hopefully I'm wrong and he wins eight, but I, I would be really surprised if he won a tournament. And in this tournament, he played well last year. It's it's a fairly easy course by tour standards, so I wouldn't be surprised if he showed some flashes of uh, brilliance. I mean, it's still Tiger Woods. Um, I I don't I don't think he'll contend, but I would I wouldn't be shocked if he threw a 65 up there, 66, something like that. How yeah. about you? I mean, I. I think it's a huge win if he makes 12 starts this year or 10. Right. Um, look at like Patrick Cantley. I think he made like 11 or 12 last year and you could tell like he was being very careful with his back. Um, I mean, if he, if he's in contention a few times, like that's great. Like it's what it was it been. I, I mean, the amount of years since he's really played competitive golf, has been when was the last time he was uh, Sed or Sedgefield, right? That was the yeah. last time he was in contention? Yeah, and I mean, that was he hadn't made many starts that year. I mean, it's that was, what, 2015? 
Yeah, that was probably 2015. So fall 2015. So over two years ago. Yeah. So I mean, if he makes um, some starts and gets at least in the mix, where you know you might not. But like what he showed last year, the thing that impressed me so much last year was is like the long iron and mid iron game. But of course, he was you know in his prime, probably the greatest iron player of all time. Right. So. It's, uh, you know, more interesting, I found, were his comments regarding the golf ball. Yeah, talk a little bit about that. I mean, it's, uh, I think this is something... You're I, a proponent. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about how you feel, but being someone, like, I shouldn't be gaining distance year over year. I work out less and less. I practice less and less. And, you know, this last year I noticed, like, I... I hit so many, it's, it's golf's become driver wedge for, you know, plus handicapped players and better, I feel like. Right. And, um, the ball doesn't curve. I mean, it doesn't really move. Like something I, uh, I got to put together is like, think about the greatest 10 greatest shots of 1999 versus the 10 greatest shots of this year. <laughs> this year they're all like you know dj's nuke drive over the pond you know against speed in the playoff they're all they're all like just met justin thomas's you know nuked sky high dead straight three woods at the u.s open they're all kind of you're right they're all you look back in 99 you'll see some movement i've always i've been talking about what we talked about the one podcast i've asked a bunch of people um would follow have ever won a major in today's game that's I I put it in this newsletter this morning. That's the most alarming thing to me is that you've you know golf in all aspects I believe is like it's so great because of variety. Whether you're talking about architecture, style like players' styles of play, and what's happening because of the ball and the fact that like it you can't miss with it is you can swing so hard. So what's happened right. is the finesse player is pretty much non-existent in, in today's PGA Tour. You, you know, they, I put stats in there, but like the average at the end of 2016, using the end of the season 2016 rankings, world rankings, the top 15 players average distance rank on the PGA Tour is like 19.5. And if you compare that to 1997, the average uh, driving distance rank was like 72nd in the world of the top 15. Wow. So, you know, it's like power has become a necessity to even compete on tour. I mean, the the dead giveaway for me that something needs to be done is when these, um, you know, senior tour guys comment on it and they're like, well, I hit it 25 yards now, 25 yards farther now at 53 than I did it. 28 you're like that i mean that that doesn't make sense i could buy me going from 32 to 34 and hitting it five yards 10 yards farther whatever i don't know any better but for something that egregious where you know bob estes or whoever's hitting it 25 yards further than when they were 30 that's that to me is crazy yeah we can ask uh paul goidos that yep next week. We're, big, we're gonna have to big news we'll have paul goidos senior tour legend and pga tour mr 59 Mm-hmm. On uh, on the pod next week, we'll do. Uh, Looking forward to that. I heard he's a great uh, storyteller. 
Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. So if you, if any listeners have uh, questions, fire them our way on Twitter, or email, whatever. Um, let's get into uh, some questions. All right. Um, Ktex, does Brian Harmon become a household name this year with a few top five finishes? I would love to see Brian Harmon become a household name because I love his game. Um, I don't think just a few top five finishes will do it, though. Um, you know, in golf, you're judged so much by majors. He obviously was close at the U.S. Open. Um, I think one, maybe two more, you know, obviously one major would get him a household name, but maybe one to two more times really in the thick of it on Sunday. Um, I say that because, you know, like you think of guys like Duffner and Keegan, um, you know, Duffner and Keegan squared off at that PGA. Neither were really household names going in. Um, they became household names when Keegan won. And the third guy in that PGA was uh, Brendan Steele, and I'm not really sure he's still a, he's a household name, but he's been in contention. I mean, I don't know late Sunday, but he's been in contention in majors quite a few times. So I would say Brian would need to contend late on Sunday to become a household name. Yeah, I uh, I agree. He only has two wins, so you think about guys that only have two PGA Tour wins, like. I mean, he's like right now, I would say Brian Harmon's in the Kevin Chappell, Gary Woodland boat of players, which, I mean, that's a really good boat of players. He's definitely, yeah, right. he's 25th in the world. I mean, he had a really, looking at his stats, he had an incredible year last year. He had 10 top 10s and 27 starts, um, which included a third, a second, and a first, um, the second coming at the U.S. Open. So, I I think he's a guy, you look at, he's 31 now, and um, some of these guys that have a little bit more all-around game, like Kevin Kisner comes to mind, take a little bit Mm -hmm. longer to get to that elite level of uh, play just because they don't have that one, you know, dominant skill like a John Rahm where he's a, you know, he hits the ball forever and really good and putts well. Um, So I think... I, he could be a good guy to bet on. I, you know, if he wins again, he get it, if he gets to five PGA Tour wins in the next two years, I think he'd be a pretty big name, right? Yeah, I agree. Speaking of only two wins, this is a good question from Will Knights. Who has a better career when it is all said and done, Justin Rose or Ricky Fowler? Ricky's got, I think, four wins, right? Yeah, he's got two. Seven worldwide wins, and I think four PGA Tour wins, if I Mm -hmm. am not mistaken. He's got the players, Deutsche Bank, Wells Fargo, Honda. Yeah, four four Mm -hmm. PGA Tour wins. So he hasn't won on the PGA Tour since 2015, which is – or actually won last year at the Honda. I'm I'm an idiot. But, I mean, I think – He made everything at the Honda. Yeah, I think it's a really good comparison is Justin Rose. Um, I think I, I put this in a newsletter a couple, maybe a week ago. Uh, over the last two years, uh, Ricky is second in worldwide top 10 or third in worldwide top 10s behind only Spieth and DJ. So he's clearly an elite player in terms of consistency. The wins just haven't come, but I don't, Winning a golf tournament is so hard. It's, you know, a bounce here, a bounce there. Right. Um, you know, they, 
I think consistency always goes overlooked. I think Justin Rose is actually like a really good comparison for um, Ricky Fowler. Um, you know, has kind of started to pile up wins later in his career. Um, and, you know, one major, if you count the Olympics, two majors, but I don't think you can really count the Olympics as a major. Um, you know, at this point in Ricky's career, getting one major is, would be a big deal. I think, I mean, what would you say over, under uh, one and a half majors for Ricky's career? Um, if I were going to set the line, I would probably set it at two and a half. So I would take the over one and a half. I think he might get two, maybe three. He just... He's going to have one of those weeks like he did at the Honda where he just makes everything inside 10 feet. And, you know, he's obviously a good enough ball striker. And he might have a major if he didn't have the propensity to, you know, make triples, um, which he seems to have gotten rid of. Um, He did that at the PGA, though. That's true. He did. Like the first round, he made that triple. Yeah. And then he was was like, like he was the favorite. Yeah. He was basically everyone's favorite after playing well at Aaron Hills. Um, he was, I mean, he was in the thick of it for, uh, the masters. He was in the second or final group. Um, he was right in it at Aaron Hills. He was. Didn't he finish runner up in like three or four of them the one year? Was that 2015? 2015. Yeah. Um, or 2014, I think. 2014. Yeah. Cause it was when, uh, when Rory won at, uh, Valhalla. Yeah, he should have some. He he. I mean, he sh- he should win it too. I would think. That question, though, I think. I mean, Rose is tough to beat. U.S. Open, two WGCs, twenty wins. An Olympics. An Olympics. You really you really want to celebrate that Olympics? Hey. Uh, no, I, I'm with you. I'm a I'm a fan of the there, Olympics. There uh, aren't um, many. There aren't many uh, Olympic gold medalists in golf. No, there's not. That's that's a real exclusive club. Um, Maybe he's but, the greatest of all time, just based he, off that. Basically, he's an Olympic gold medalist. Yeah. Was it? Was I'll it, never forget those. What were you gonna say? Was it Chandler Egan? Yeah, H. Chandler Egan, Exmoor guy. Yeah, he's he's who you're compared to. You might be because, the se- second greatest player in Exmoor history. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um. What I was going to say about Rose was those two long irons he hit at 17 and 18 at Marion were like two of the greatest shots I've ever seen back-to-back in my life. They obvi- I mean, they wound up rolling past the hole, but they were just so pure. I think it was a four-iron on both, or maybe one was a three-iron. But, I mean, under that kind of pressure to hit a three- or four-iron that basically rolls over the hole, two shots in a row is just it's insane to me. The other thing with Rose is that he's finished runner-up at the Masters twice, and both of those times it was one of like the lowest score, or the one time it was the one of the lowest scores ever at the Masters, yeah. and he didn't win because of uh, speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, he's he's had his fair share of, of close misses too. I I think that's a really good comparison. Yeah, I like it too. Um, all right. How many majors would Big Cat have won during his prime? Ninety-seven to two thousand eight had club technology, and we'll throw the ball in there, not advance. Drew Bontadelli. Um, 
I'm going to say he would have broken Jack's record. I don't know how to quantify how many, because like you said, you know, bounce of the ball here, bounce of the ball there. Um, but I will say he would have at least 19 majors. I would agree with you. I mean, the advancements in driver heads, that, and then like, like the hybrid is a really overlooked advancement um, mm-hmm. because – you talk to you know any great players of you know that are older generation. The the thing that Jack had that you know Arnie had was this ability to hit towering long irons, and you know Tiger was one of the greatest long iron players of all time. And the advancement, I I, I think that hybrid came out in what like two thousand one, two thousand two, two thousand three, and all was sudden, it that? Yeah, all of a sudden everybody could hit. Um, high, long, long irons. Um, so I think, I think uh, he would have broken the and then the ball. I mean, this, uh, technology in general for really for the PGA Tour has just closed the skill gap. Yeah, uh, there's no such thing as an elite shot maker anymore. I mean, the hybrid is a perfect example. And the hybrid just you can't move a hybrid; it just goes dead straight. It's hard. It, when you have to move it, it's hard because it's just you can't do it. Yeah, that, it, it is incredibly hard to move today's golf ball, like especially if you're in the rough and trying to cut an iron. I mean, it's, it's almost impossible. I'm with you. Okay, let's say, speaking about the golf ball, why do you think a player like Billy Horschel is so vocal about the golf ball? He's adamant it doesn't go any further. Self-preservation on tour, sponsor dollars, not woke. That's from Luke Smith. Um. So, I would say he's not very woke. Uh, <laughs> um, I think, if anything, it, it, people get in a bubble and people hate change. Um, right. PGA Tour players who have made millions of dollars because things are a certain way are obviously going to resist a change that might hinder their ability to make money in the future. I don't think Billy Horschel would be one that would be, he might actually be helped by. A, That's kind of what I was thinking. Uh, by, cause he's kind of, he's an all around player. He's not overly long. I think he would be helped, um, by a rollback of the ball or technology. Like if they went to a smaller driver head, I think he would be helped. Um, people, I, I, I think there's, a bunch of people that would be hurt by going to a um, smaller, like I think a smaller driver head would uh, is a, an, another thing that should be considered. That's why I, you know, every other professional sport, with the exception of a couple, have different you know equipment. Like tennis has a slower ball than what you know the consumer uses. Baseball uses wooden bats. Like mm-hmm. why? You know, golf has just been, you know, hindered by not slowing things down. Right. If anything, they use equipment that's better than the consumer can use. Yeah, it's it's the, really the only thing. So I would say Billy Billy Horschel just is afraid of change, and you know, he's got to protect his livelihood. Yeah, I completely agree with that because he's you know he's making millions of dollars, like you said, and the difference between him. Playing on, you know, the difference between anybody playing on the tour and, you know, folding shirts might be a couple of shots around. So any kind of change where, 
you know, you're not sure at the end result, you're going to get freaked out because that's your livelihood and it's such a high pressure game. And um, I'm with you. Um, so Tiger's event is next week, the Hero World Challenge. Uh, and 18 person field that gets full FedEx Cup points. Why do they get full FedEx Cup points? Al Pandera wants to know. I uh, I don't know why they get full FedEx points. It's another uh, it's another FedEx Cup fluffer job. Um, I, you know the field's obviously really good. There's it's what we talked about it before the before the uh, podcast. It's the top eleven, the defending champion, two sponsors exemptions, and a few others sprinkled in there. But I mean, it's it's eighteen. It's nine twosomes. I mean, I've, I we've had. You know, bigger Friday afternoon skins game at our club than this Hero World Challenge. So I, it's hard for me to justify. You know, it's you can ha- you can jack up the purse money because that's you know sponsored. Who cares? But the FedEx Cup points, I, it's hard for me to justify giving a regular FedEx Cup point allocation um, to the event that has 18 people in it. I mean, that's insane. It's it's kind of like a glorified skins game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, they, they want to get people to show up, and that's how they get them to show up. And obviously, Tiger, when this event started, was you know such a force in the game that I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. And once it, you have them, it's hard to take them away. It, it's a, it's a perfect example of something that is you know quite ridiculous and and skewed, and how the tour skews to the elite player, like. This combined with the WGCs where you get free FedEx Cup points, free money, like it makes it, you know, it, it, it makes it very much easier for those, the, the top 15 players to get to the, you know, tour championship. But that is also what the PGA Tour wants. Right. So I don't necessarily have a problem with the World Golf Championships as much as, I mean, that's, at least you have more than 18 people, 18, I mean... That's it's so small. It's almost like it's a just a little more than ten percent of a normal full field event. If you picked eighteen people, say you know before the next full field event, you've you said all right, pick eighteen people who might win. You probably wouldn't pick the winner. That's that's just a very small sample size. You didn't have Austin Cook last week. No, I did not. Unless you're Paulie, then you might pick the winner. Yeah. But me personally, I'm not going to pick the winner out of 18, uh-huh. unless it's Louis. Yeah. Well, he hasn't won in a while, so. I'm still waiting. Yeah, it's uh, it's turning into a losing bet. I know it is. Even when it wins, I'll still be a loser. Unless I'm he goes hot, on a flip. I'm hot committed now. Um. All right, we got uh, we got a bunch of you know non-related tour questions. We'll get into now. Um, Joe Estes wants to know what. What was your favorite pre-Pro V1 ball? I played the Top Flight Strata. Um, I don't really know why. I, I saw. I went back to my parents' house um, a few weeks ago, and I saw I had a full sleeve in there, and I took it out. It's so like it's so soft. Um, I don't really know why I played it. Maybe just to be different because everyone was playing the perfect Tour Professional um, or the Tour Prestige, maybe at the time. Um, it wasn't because of Jim Furyk or Hal Sutton. No, but you know who I remember being associated with Strata was Omira. So it might have been a little bit because of 
Omira. But I, for whatever reason, I think I just wanted to be different. So I'm going Strata. I think I, 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 I you know, I, I messed around with the Strata. Um, I was into the, the Maxfly Revolution, too. Oh, yeah, I played that for a little bit. I forgot about that ball. That was, that was a good ball. Um, when I was younger, I, like, loved uh, the Wilson Staff Titaniums. Me and my buddy. I never played that. Yeah, I mean, we were, like, at the, I think we were at the time, like, 13 or something. We hadn't even gotten to high school yet. So that was another ball I messed around with. Slazinger, R.I.P. <laughs> that was the original Big Cat. Mm-hmm. Um, playing off that, what's the most gimmicky piece of equipment you've ever convinced yourself to try from Steve Misner? You know, two came to mind. Um, one was the Sabona <laughs> bracelet. I mean, I... I <laughs> In defense of myself, I was probably like 16 or 17, but I thought it was like the coolest thing ever. And uh, I really was convinced that it was going to get into my bloodstream and help me play better golf, even though it was for like, I think it was made for like 60-year-olds with arthritis. But I was like all about it. I loved how it made my wrist green. Um, and I learned shortly thereafter any kind of jewelry is questionable. So I went away from the... Uh, Sabona wristband, and then the other thing was that diamond face wedge. Do you remember <laughs> that's, that? That's what mine was. It was so cool. You could spin the ball back. Like, I mean, I, how old was I? Probably fourteen or something, fifteen, sixteen. But I, uh, I remember you could just spin the ball back like twenty feet, and it was so cool. But your golf, you'd get up there, and your golf ball looked like it was, you know, in a in a IED. Like it was. Remember the commercial with the um, with the they hit it off the back of a dump truck. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was spin on concrete. Oh, my God. That was that club was so ridiculous. You know, at, last year at the Mid-Am, I found um, somebody left a Warrior Hybrid on the tee during a practice round. And I was like, who at the U.S. Mid-Am is, is using a Warrior Hybrid? I don't even know that I know what that is. What is that? It's like an infomercial club on the Golf Channel. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, maybe maybe he was well, just dropping it because like it was his buddies or something. He was like, "Get this thing out of my bag." Golfers get desperate. I've been there. I'll try something if I'm not uh, not hitting it well. Yeah. Um, Here's a good one for you, Mister Anti RTJ. Have to choose one: only play RTJ courses for the rest of your life, or two: listen to Michael Breed announce every golf tournament you will ever watch. That's from Will Knights. This is um, this is a great question because you know if you go with number two, you're subjecting yourself to a, uh, a headache. I mean, you you lose one of the beauties of golf. Like one of the things I love about golf is how calm and peaceful it is. I enjoy, you know, on Saturdays that you could fall asleep on the couch, wake back up, and, you know, you feel feel fine, um, you know. But Michael Breed would definitely change the dynamic of watching golf on TV. I think I would go to a, uh, a mute. You know, I'd, I'd probably listen to music and have it on mute and just, you know, think of my own stuff. I think I'd probably still go with Breed, though, because, like... Oh, my God. I think only playing a style of golf that makes me angry for the rest of my life would be, would be a, yeah, I, I couldn't deal with that. I think, uh, 
I, don't, I, I asked you actually before the podcast why everyone gives RTJ courses so much hate because I there's some good – Point of Woods, Valderrama in Spain, I played there like 10 years ago. It was like one of the best courses I've ever played in my life. Uh, Country Club in North Carolina is awesome. Spyglass. Like there's so many good golf courses that he's done. Um, and I guess, you know, I know Spyglass a lot of people hate on some of the idiosyncrasies of it and – I guess the the Robert Tr- Jones Trail. There's some, you know, Magnolia Grove. I like. There's a couple I haven't liked, but I mean, when you're comparing that to listening to Breed, I mean, it's a no-brainer for me. I'll take RTJ all day. <laughs> I mean, the rest of your life, though, like you can't play anywhere else. You never get to play like a Pine Valley or a Cypress Point. Like all those are off the table. Yeah, I mean, it's a hard choice. Rock in a hard place, right? But. I, I still you get to, you can just go play uh, Spyglass. You know RTJ's style of architecture is kind of everything I hate. So what do you hate so much about it? It's just it it it's thoughtless. You know it's hit it down the middle like it it goes back to like having options and right. like no width. Yeah, like you know I think I think you put a good player on an RTJ course. It's it's really pretty simple. You know, you hit it straight. It tells you where to hit the ball. I prefer a course that, you know, makes you make a decision on what line and what shot you're going to hit and then hit the right, you know, distance on that line, if that makes sense. No, I, I like that too, but I, I, I don't have a problem. I like, I like both. Yeah, it's, I, I, you know, just, just can't. I'd be in a constant state of frustration if I played only RTJ courses when I played golf. I'd probably stop playing also. We should go do that uh, best ball at Mid Pines and go play Country Club in North Carolina. That, I like those courses. They're really, really, really good. All right. I, RTJ did some good work. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's better than his son. I agree with that. Okay, here's another choose one or the other. Um, free membership at Cypress Point or restorations of Pebble and Augusta National back to what made them great in the first place from Joe Smith. You know, if I was... Former paying, Maryland forward. Yeah, former number one pick in the draft. Number one pick, yeah. And former Bolt. Thanks for being a fan, Joe. <laughs> I, uh, if I'm being selfish, I would take the free membership at Cypress Point. For the for the good of the game, you would pick the restorations of Pebble and Augusta National because Augusta has a tremendous effect on the rest of the world of golf and what they perceive as good golf. Um, Augusta is still a great golf course in its current state, but it could be way better and set a much better example as to how a golf course should be, you know, maintained. You know, it's it's gotten more narrow. It's gotten more rough over the years, and then obviously the immaculate conditioning, it, it gives people a, a false sense of, you know, what their local golf course should look like, and, you know, money goes to build, you know, creating a golf course that looks like Augusta National when they shouldn't have that. Um, so I would say, if I, if I was uh, speaking as the, the the fried egg founder, I would choose the latter. But if it was just Andy Johnson, I would choose uh, the Cypress Point free membership. What about you? 
Um, I'm with you. There's a reason I don't have a Prius. I would go with the free membership. Um, and I will say though, that, that picture of seven that, um, uh, I, I tweeted it out. I know a bunch of other people were tweeting it out. Um, the picture of seven at Pebble from, I think 1928, that looks so amazing. It's not even funny. You wonder why they, I mean, it's so, you know, the bunkers are not, is not nearly as defined. It just, it looks phenomenal. And I wonder why, um, I wonder what the pushback is to not go back to that. I just, that's what bothers me. Think about the money shutting down Pebble Beach for a year would cost. Like, think about not only just the resort that's already booked, you know, wall to wall. Right. Yeah, you'd have to do it three years in advance, four years in advance. So so you have a, a resort that charges more than any other resort in the world and is booked all the time. You know, they, it's not like they there's a shortage of people going to see it. Um, and then think about, like, the tourism to that community if Pebble Beach was completely shut down. Well, they'd have to go enjoy Spyglass, RTJ. Yeah. Is what, it, uh, so what about, so Pebble's a business, I understand that aspect of it. What about Augusta National? Oh, that's, I think, uh, I mean, I, that'll be interesting. I think that that has a lot uh, more chance to happen than a uh, pebble restoration, and I think if you look at like if you know I have a bunch of old maybe I'll post a bunch of old uh, Augusta photos with uh, with this podcast, but um, you know if you look at those photos like the 16th hole is completely different than it was today, and I personally think it looks a lot better. But they had a similar rough style bunkering, and it would require the Augusta National membership to move away from the perfect conditioning you know like Mm -hmm. you couldn't do the rough style bunkerings and keep like the immaculate landscaping um, right and the azaleas so because that would look that would just not fit um so i think but augusta would be i mean it would be so cool if they went back i mean tiger talks about it in his book that he recently put out i would recommend it just for the last chapter the rest of the book is really bad. The last <laughs> chapter is uh, is quite good because he talks about you know the golf ball and all the things that Augusta National has changed. You know they've they've um, leveled some greens, they've made it more narrow, they've added trees, which just limits the you know the beauty of Augusta. Right. So it's you know I the Augusta is an example of um, you know who knew better. Alistair McKenzie or um, the Jones family. Right. I, uh, I'm always amazed even watching like Tiger 97 highlights, how much different the course looks with no, no rough. It just, it looks so good. Well, it's the, the ironic thing is like, think about like the whole concept of uh, Tiger proofing. Like, right. So say like, uh, you know, you're playing a match against a friend of the pod, Chad from Deer Park. So Chad's a mid-am that he nukes the ball, and he hits it, like, dead straight. So Kyle is a little bit shorter. Maybe not pretty straight, but, like, playing a golf course that's really long and really tight, you know, you would have it be a much less, you know, much bigger disadvantage to Chad that's on a long and tight golf course. Right. Yeah, because he, you know, it's so... I think with, you know, with a lot of rough. So 
the idea of tiger proofing that's a combined with equipment like the lengthening of golf courses and the you know reduction of the ball actually going offline has what is what's created less and less you know variety in the game of golf from a player aspect i'm in agreement with that what's your uh we're going to change subjects this is too depressing Will, <laughs> Willie Orbison with the Thanksgiving tomorrow. What's your favorite Thanksgiving dish? My favorite Thanksgiving dish is um, stuffing. I'm a huge fan of stuffing. I think it's very underrated. Um, I wish that, that I wish I could eat it all year round. Actually, like I have like a stuffing burrito. Um, I just for some reason it's like the only thing I eat leftovers of. I feel like I just heat a bowl of stuffing and eat it. Um, I'm not, a, I don't like turkey. I don't, I think it's the worst, uh, meat. I'm actually excited because we're going, um, out for Thanksgiving tomorrow. Um, and that's a buffet. So I, I'm just going to eat a bunch of crab legs and stuff like that. So I don't have to worry about turkey. So I'm excited about that. How about you? I will echo your, uh, love for stuffing. I'm, I'm really Thanksgiving to me is I'm get I get in with big starch. You know, I'm into, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm into mashed potatoes. Stuff it's a big time carbo load. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the turkey I like, but I could eat just the, if it was just mashed potatoes, stuffing and gravy, I'd be all in. Yeah. I load my plate up with that and maybe do like one small slice of turkey when my mom makes it. Um, I think, uh, what's the, what's the most outside of turkey? What's the most overrated part? Um, I would go the cranberry sauce. I'm not a big cranberry fan. Yeah, I hate that too. Too <laughs> similar, similar taste. Yeah, we should have Thanksgiving together. <laughs> Just stuffing. Just yeah, it's uh, we'd have like a uh, a pound of uh, deli turkey meat and stuffing. <laughs> I like that. Um, All right, here's here... an architecture one. All right. Um, thoughts on the architecture with and angles at Lost Marsh in Hammond. This is a three-part question. That's part one from Tom Delaney. I've played there um, once in a scramble. Um, It was their Chili Open or whatever they have. Um, So it was in November. I I can't really speak to it because I don't really remember it that well. So um, I, uh, the first and only time I played Lost Marsh, it was uh, a few years back, and my boss had been raving about Lost Marsh for, you know, probably about a year and you know i was on a big ravislow kick which is in my opinion the best public golf course in chicago and uh and he he finally convinced me to play lost lost marsh with him and after the first five holes if i wasn't with my boss i would have gone in and uh, (laughs) called it quits i was uh it's like there's no way it's completely impossible for the average player it is. And then it's it almost gets worse when you get to the open area. You know, after the first five holes, the first five holes have water on both sides. Mm-hmm. And it's extremely narrow. But then you get out to the other, other the back nine or the back 14, and it's like, you know, you'll have holes where you hit it in the fairway and you're blocked out by trees. It That place, that's, that's a place that should shut down. Yeah, <laughs> should shut it down. I from the little I played it and the little I um, 
you know, remember hole by hole. I do not like, I did not remember liking it. Um, but they, if you want to go play there, that chili opens cool. Everyone bring, you know, it's a scramble. Everyone brings their own, you know, their best chili. And then you can sample all the, you know, 20 different chilies or whatever after the round. It's kind of fun. Okay. Um, Grand Geneva or Geneva national uh, for a cost conscious weekend trip. I'm not in on either. I'd, I'd try and I'd go play somewhere else. I, I'd just stay at their hotels. Try to go play Strawberry Creek. Um, there's That's a really fun. cool, if you don't mind playing really scruffy, not good golf courses, like not well-maintained golf courses, there's a course called Spring Valley that's like a old Langford Moreau course. And if they did like a restoration there, it'd be essentially like Skokie Country Club which is you know, one of the best courses in Chicago. Mm-hmm. But it's not in good shape. The fairways are way too narrow. There's way too many trees, and the greens have shrunk. But I'd rather play there than any of the Grand Geneva, Geneva National options. Okay, what's a good way for someone to volunteer in the Chicago golf community? I, uh, I have some friends that um, are pretty active with the First Tee program. Um, so... If you wanted to get in touch, if anyone wanted to get in touch with any of them to uh, find out more, just send me a Twitter message or whatever. You have any good ways? Yeah, that uh, Jason Way, who's on Twitter, is like Jay Wizze. He's been like, it's pretty cool. He's been leading this like whole like improvement of Canal Shores, which is a neat little course in in Evanston. It's right on like kind of the and it's got the L going through it. It's, it's small. It's, it's been run down, but you know, he's kind of like with a group of volunteers been, you know, making it significantly better by making it wider, adding some cool bunkers, like, you know, digging them out by hand. Um, so that, that would be one I would, I would recommend if you're, if you're into golf course architecture, it's, uh, you know, improving a, a little community golf course that, you know, had uh, fallen on tough times, so that's that's one I would get into. Um, okay, here here's a long um, question about Hall of Fame and architecture. Um, Tillinghast, McDonald, Ross, McKenzie, Die, Old Tom, Crenshaw. Um, though more for playing than architecture, given the induction of class of 2002 and no mentions of architecture and achievement in his citation. And somehow Robert Trent Jones, which uh, this should be rescinded for actual crimes against nature, along with DPRK style, three generations of punishment passed down to his sons and grandsons for their continued awfulness. This is the list of Hall of Fame architects. Um, so the question is, how in the hell are Rayner, Colt, Thomas and Maxwell not in the Hall of Fame? And should we start a pitchfork and torches movement to make that happen? These gents getting shut out of the hall is insane, even if the golf hall isn't as revered as Cooperstown or Canton. It's still a hall of fame. It's fascinating to me that golf, there's this like glorification of, of the PGA Tour and the legends of the game from like a playing side. Um, and let's just say that roughly, you know, let's say 25 million golfers are in the world. I mean, if you look at, like, social media, like, the PGA Tour has something like 2 million fans. So you're saying, like, we're glorifying this subset of of golfers that's watched by only 10% of the sport versus 
the greatest architects of all time who designed the greatest golf courses of all time. And in golf courses, every single person that plays the game of golf plays golf courses. So to me, it, it's, it's fascinating that architecture is constantly, you know, put to the side when it's something that's relevant to every golfer and PGA tour. And like, you know, I, you know, I write about the PGA tour three times a week, but that is, you know, viewed by only, you know, a handful of golf fans and it receives all of the, you know, essential attention and praise. Um, so, I mean, those guys should be in the hall of fame. I, George Thomas didn't design that many golf courses. I would say you should have Harry Colt for sure in the hall of fame. Um, Seth Rayner, maybe, but you know, then you start to look at, um, today's generation it's like a three-part question so today's generation of architects like who would be hall of fame worthy i think you'd look at like corin crenshaw pete die pete die would definitely be in the hall of fame corin crenshaw uh of course uh, crenshaw's already in there um i think gil hans is on his way tom doak deserves to be in the hall of fame for like the influence and how he's ushered in this minimalism architecture Um, and you know, he's got a pretty good list of golf courses. Um, so it, it, the hall of fame just, it doesn't have a focus on architecture yet. So when it does have a focus, you know, and and hopefully for like the modern era architects, like people get inducted into the hall of fame before they die, because the majority of these architects have gotten inducted when they're dead, you know? So Mm -hmm. like, at least they get inducted in the recognition while they're still alive. Um, you know? I think that, you know, one can make a pretty good argument that Harry Colt had a much greater influence on the game of golf than uh, Jim Furyk. Right. So, um, yeah, uh, into a question here. We'll wrap these questions up, and then we'll go into overrated, underrated. Is PXG the big baller brand of golf from Philip Johnson? I love that uh, analogy. Um I would say yes, if you had to have one, although I don't think anyone offends your sensibilities or my sensibilities like LeVar Ball does. Um, you do have, you know, the, the super over-the-top expensive product um, where everyone's like, what the hell, I'm paying $500 for a wedge or $700 for a pair of shoes. or um, And... You know, Zach Johnson didn't play the PXGs in the Ryder Cup. Lonzo Ball sometimes wears Nikes. So, yeah, I say that is a very good comparison. Yeah, I agree. I think it's outrageously expensive and adds, like, minimal. You know, if there's any benefit, it's so, so minimal. I think it's almost more of a a statement at this point. Right. I don't want to offend Chad from Deer Park, a PXG player, but... You know, if you're, uh, mm-hmm. you, you rock PXGs more for, you know, look at, look at these sick clubs I have than, you know, these actually, you know. He does hit his eight iron like 210. It's insane. But it's probably a six iron loft. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure the technology, I've heard that the technology is really, really good. Um, but like, I don't think it really makes that big of a difference. I haven't seen really anybody play their driver. Now that I think of it, I mean, I know people got it, but I've never seen anybody like play it. Somebody told me, um, somebody thought 
or I read somewhere that they thought like that whole PXG lawsuit with TaylorMade was like a play to leverage because you know TaylorMade got bought out by like a private equity firm mm-hmm. who has no interest in being in a lawsuit because they're trying to sell a company you know quickly right. and that 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 play was an attempt to leverage you know that lawsuit in order to get TaylorMade to like allow them to use some of their driver technology to improve their driver. Makes sense. Um, so, yeah, the, the, I, I, I heard the drivers, like, in the fairway woods are really bad. I think, I mean, I think the irons are decent, but is it, you know, are they five times better than a regular, you know, any other brand? Be hard for me. To, it'd be hard to prove that. Yeah. Um, let's get into overrated and underrated. Okay. Um, what do you think about Twitter debates on the ball from Sean Smith? You know, it's typical of Twitter. Everyone's got their two cents and, um, you know, they're staunch in their beliefs. But, I mean, I'll say overrated. I think the fact is something has to be done at some point and probably will be done. And that's all there is to it. And until that action is finally taken, which as in golf, you know, it takes a few years. Um, so you'd be looking at, you know, 2020, 2021, maybe at the earliest. Um, yeah, until that happens, there. I mean, you can debate it all you want, but there's there's nothing really um, to talk about until until they actually decide to do it, which they clearly should. And anybody that takes the other side of that argument is you know, just wrong. I say, um, such a polarizing topic. I tried to try to keep my, keep my, my thoughts off Twitter as much as I could. I only got in there for like a couple jabs. (laughs) Just, it's not worth The amazing thing is when you get into something like that is how like you waste like four hours of your life and the person that you're arguing with is never going to change their opinion. So I think they're actually extremely overrated because the when these debates go, go come out, like each person is so far extreme on their side that there's no changing of their opinion. You know, like, right. like if I got in a debate with somebody with Wally Uline, like both of us would end up, you know, we could debate for for a month straight and we'd both stay in the exact same spot. You know, um, all right. Overrated, underrated uh, simulator golf in the winter. Um, you know, I, I see both sides. It, if you're using it as a, uh, you know, to, to improve your game, I'd say it's a little overrated. Um, I know the technology's gotten pretty solid, but I just, you know, there's nothing, there's no substitute for the real thing. If you're using it for fun and, you know, maybe have a few beers with your friends and whatnot and just chill out, then I'm underrating it because it's actually it's a fun thing to do i just you have to have um you know realistic expectations if you're actually using it to try to get better yeah we got a lot of questions about winter practice you got any Mm -hmm. tips no i um the one the one winter i came out in the spring playing pretty well i went to the golf center in displays which is kind of like this uh you know you hit from inside to outside um you know i'd go there three times a week and i had one of those hundred dollar, uh, little putting 
mats in my basement and I'd hit, you know, some putts every week. Uh, but it, there's, there's no way to really do it um, perfectly. But, you know, if you can hit balls a few times a week, if it's a dome or, you know, a half range or anything like that, and, you know, just hold the putter in your hand, hit a few putts, I think that helps. Better yeah. than doing nothing. I would say if uh, if you're ever thinking about making some wholesale changes to your swing, the winter is the time to do it. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think it's a good time to to if you if you're not like a lesson taker but want to take lessons, I would take them in the winter. You know, mm-hmm. um, I would. Uh, I kind of I enjoy time off. I think it helps me, um, but I would say putting. You know, practice putting. Um, hit balls every once in a while. I I try and chill out in the winter. But some that people... yardstick um, putting drill we talked about before is a good one in the winter. Yeah, if you just hit putts on a yardstick, that's all you need for putting. Personally, believe. Um, Shane Trubisky yeah. playing around by yourself. Oh, underrated, overrated. So underrated. I'm I'm with you. It's I like miss it. I played one round. One of my last rounds of the year it was actually at this manakiki place where i uh where i uh wrote the on the skillet about today but mm-hmm. this public course it was like mid-october i went out there on like a thursday morning it was 20 bucks to walk and there was nobody out there i played through one like 90 year old man <laughs> um, but like um there's nobody out there it was it was so it was like a spiritual experience you know yeah, I'm a big fan of it. I think either you get to play really fast, you know, you play in two hours, which is awesome, or, you know, I like to play worse ball scrambles sometimes because um, then you get a real indication of how bad you're playing or, you know, like it, it, worse ball scrambles are hard, but, you know, you can't really do that with other people, so you have to play by yourself. So I, I enjoy it. You put some music on, and, you know, you relax in the car, check your phone. You know, there's no... There's you know there's no hustle to it. It's just relaxing. Yeah, there's nobody around that you have to uh, keep you know happy. Right. Good lag. Good lag. Yeah. What about Brandel Chambly from KTEX? I uh, I know a lot of people don't like Brandel. I've never really had a problem with him. Um, he you know he has some hot takes, obviously, but uh, I think he's fine. I mean he he he. He wants what's best for golf, and you know, although he may say some outlandish things at times, I think he's he's fine. I, I have no problem with Brandel. Yeah, I think he's uh, I think he's underrated. I I what, agree. What I like about Brandel is he is an analyst that clearly does his homework. Mm-hmm. Whatever stance he's going to take, it's usually he's done a lot of research and. Um, he get you know a lot of people get jaded because he has such strong takes, but at least he takes a side. One of the things that bugs me about golf is how how people don't say what they really believe a lot, and you know they you know there's so much money from you know equipment sponsors and stuff that that limit what people can say. You know if if I'm sponsored by Callaway like. Or if I'm sponsored by Titleist, like Titleist would be a good example. Like if your Titleist paid a ton of money to the fried egg, I'd never be able to talk about how the ball is out of control. Right. Like you can't do it. So that's a big problem with golf. And I really like that Brandel actually 
speaks his mind on most topics. I know a lot of people were saying that Brandel is in the bag for Titleist with his latest take, but you know at least he he takes a stance and mm-hmm. you know take it for what it is. It's a, it's one man's opinion. It's not the Bible. Right. All right. Here's one for you. Overrated, underrated shoelaces, aka thoughts on the Boa technology after beating your Air Westies to the ground. That's from Sal Hutton. Yeah, I got I got a lot of uh, shit recently on, on Twitter. <laughs> And uh, for for the longtime followers, they'll know that shoelaces and my f- shoes before the Arrowesties were a big problem. So I got these boas on the on the um, recommendation of uh, Chad from Deer Park, and uh, I'm not going to get boas again. Although I, you know, they were nice not having to you know tie your shoelaces, but. Shoelaces are are definitely overrated because if they break, you're kind of screwed. Like my last shoes, they broke. And then I went into the store and there was two different size shoelaces of the same Mm. brand. Like I had Echoes and they had two different sizes. And I looked at them for a good 10 minutes trying to think about which shoelace to buy. And I, I looked at them and I said, you know, these big ones must be for men and the little ones must be for women get the shoelaces out, I put them into my shoes, and they're like they're like 10 inches too long on each side. So from that point on, I had to like triple knot my shoelaces. Oh my God, they were, your shoelaces were outrageously I mean, long. They were so long that sometimes they could get caught on the spikes and I'd like trip. I'm going to overrate both shoelaces and boa. I don't like the way boas look. Um, I mean, you still have to like bend over and tighten them it's just i mean they're both bad what about going to a pump style like like the old basketball shoes <laughs> i uh i actually always thought i would like high top uh golf shoes um as a fan of basketball for some reason like i always really really wanted high top golf shoes but then i see some of the um you know you see ricky or keegan wear them and you're like oh god those look terrible so I, I think I'm out on those, too. I'm basically out on any footwear. Yeah, I, uh, I would agree. Maybe, it's, maybe I'm in on barefoot golf. See, that's what I'm in on. Tevas with spikes? <laughs> um, oh, that's such a bad look. All right, that's a wrap. Let's, uh, we'll, we'll cut this. We're at like a, an hour, so. Perfect. Have a good Thanksgiving. I hope. Uh, yeah, you too. I hope this helps somebody with a long drive somewhere. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk uh, next week with Paul Goidos. Big time. Sweet. Thanks, guys. New format. Later.